You know, introducing your kid to something they've never experienced before is, is always a little bit tricky. Um, an example I'm thinking of is the first time I introduced our kids to, to the beach. And you think about the beach from the perspective of a kid. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming, right? There's all this sand, there's this ocean that's chaotic, uncertain. Um, I remember uh, going to the beach with my kids, and I remember one of our kids uh, wanted to go into the ocean. But uh, they looked out into that ocean, and it's all these waves. It felt uncertain. It felt dangerous to them. They were scared. And so what did I tell them? I said, well, I'll, I'll go into the ocean with you. We went out there, and I told them, look, I'll stand there right next to you. If you call for me, uh, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to respond. Uh, you're going to know that I'll be with you because Dad's always going to be with you, right? You can always count on that promise for me. I told them uh, if it becomes too much, if there's a wave that knocks them over, I'll pick them up, I'll defend them, right? I'll, I'll be with them. I'll protect them if they struggle. The most important thing, though, really, I told them in all this was that, hey, Daddy's got you. Right? That's really what I was saying. Daddy's got you. The water's going to be cold. The waves are going to be, some of them easy to handle, others of them quite hard to handle. But in this first time, as they stand in that ocean, they should know their dad's going to respond. He's going to help. He's going to protect. Daddy's got you. And, and that's what helped, to know that I would be with them and that I would have them. You know, today, uh, in the passage that we're looking at, in these two chapters, uh, what we're going to see in this part of the story is, is David. If you were here last week, we see David's on the run from King Saul. And in these two chapters, he has some very close calls. These are the closest calls he's had so far. He's under constant threat. There's a couple times Saul comes very close to capturing him, and Saul's made clear, I'm going to kill you <laughs> if I get you. But in all this, David has faith, he has trust in God, because what does he believe about God? He believes that God's got him. That God's got him. He's got him in all the ways that we want God to got us. Because in the same way that David has God in him, with him, we also today want to say that God's got us. That God can be with us. That if you have a relationship with God, that statement is true for you this morning. God's got you. And what we'll look at this morning is God's got you in at least three different ways that we'll see in our story. Number one, God's got you in the sense that God answers when you call on him. You can also say God's got you in that God keeps his promises to you. And the third way we look at it is God's got you in that you can know that he will defend and protect you. So that's where we're going. Uh, first one I want to consider this morning is that God's got you because he answers when you call upon him. If you talk to him, he will answer you. This is now uh, chapter 23, verses 1 to 14. And here we're going to see David's first call. Uh, David hears about a city that's under attack, a city named Kela, and the Philistines are coming, they're stealing grain from the city, and David knows how to, how to, how to defend cities against Philistines, and so he wants to respond, he wants to help. But, I mean, remember what I just said, he's under threat, he's on the run, on the run to go into Israel and help protect the city while you know the king of Israel wants to come and kill you seems a very dangerous thing to do, and that's what his men tell him in verse 3. Like, why are we picking a fight here? <laughs> We're on the run. But David wants to do this. And, and so what does David do? How does he know what to do? We're told that David calls upon the Lord. In fact, twice he says, hey, what should I do? And the Lord confirms to him both times, yes, you can go and defend the city. You'll be able to save these people. Verse 4, I will give the Philistines into your hands. And so that's what happens. David and his men go to defeat the Philistines. They save the city. And what we see here, and we'll see some other examples as we continue on here, is his basic posture in this point of his life is, hey, 
I don't know what to do. I'm going to call upon the Lord. And every single time, God answers. When he's uncertain, he's unsure, God answers him. Any of us who acknowledge God as our God, we have a relationship with God, what God wants you to know is, hey, I've got you. Call on me. I will answer you. I will answer you. I will speak to you. I will help you. God answers when we call because God, God's, God's got us. That's, that's what David knew. That's why he was able to call on him. That's why he does call on him. But see a contrast, though, with David and Saul. What happens is Saul, like the men were afraid of, he hears that David is in the city and he thinks to himself, he doesn't think to himself, oh, it's great. My, my city is protected. He thinks, yes, finally, I got David. I'm going to be able to kill him. We're told in verse 7, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. If he stays there, he's going to be trapped. He's going to be locked in. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Caleb to besiege David and his men. So notice here, Saul does not call upon the Lord, right? Earlier, if you scan those verses, we see David talking to the priest and asking, what does God want me to do? And God answering. Saul just assumes that God is with him, right? So you could say God's got you, but that is true only if you're coming to God and listening to him according to his word and you're listening to what he has to say according to his word. Saul thinks God's with him, but not based on any word of God. It's based on his own personal vendetta. Let's not say God's got us and God's answering us based on our own desires, right? our own agenda, our own plans. We can do that a lot. <laughs> to say that God's got us is to say, I listen to what God has to say according to his word, and I respond according to his word. We call upon him and we listen to him, to what he has to say. That's the difference here between Paul and Saul, between David and Saul here. So David hears that Saul is coming, and then, again, you see the contrast? David's calling upon the Lord and listening. Saul's like, of course God's with me. I don't need to talk to him, right? He's driven by his own desires. Here again in verse 10, 10 Saul, David hears that Saul is coming. He's, what do I do? Verse 10, he calls upon the Lord. What should I do? And the Lord tells David, yeah, you better leave. The city will turn you over to Saul. And before we, we you know, dog on the city too much, <laughs> if you think about it, um, obviously he just saved the city. You would think they would protect him. But remember in the last chapter, Saul has a habit of killing lots of people if they hide David, if they protect the people, <laughs> right? If they protect David from him. From him. So just one person in the last chapter helped David without even knowing that Saul was angry about it, right? And he wipes out the whole town. So this city, probably every city in Israel is saying, hey, like if David's around, like we, we, we need to listen. We, need, we listen to what the king says. So I think God says, yeah, you should leave before Saul gets there. And that's what David does. He leaves that city uh, and goes off into wilderness. Now, before we go into the next part of this chapter, another thing it's important to say is when we say God's got us and he answers us, that doesn't mean the answer is always going to be what we want. You know, I think one of the reasons why we sort of don't ask God, right? We sort of assume things about God and we want things to go according to our own way, our own desires. So why we just assume God's there. God's got us even if he gives us answers that we don't like. That's what happens in the story. The first part of the chapter, David heard the answer he wanted. He wanted to go and save the city, and God said, yes. Here's an answer he did not want to hear. <laughs> hey, can I stay here? And think about what David's been doing. He's been on the run. He's like camping out in the wilderness. <laughs> he, I mean, here's a city, right? He can stay there. He can live there maybe for a little while. But here God says, no, you need to leave. You're not, a, you're not safe. He's not getting an answer particularly that he wants. And that's true. God's got us. 
He answers when we call upon him, and, and sometimes it's not what we want to hear, but it still means God's got us because it means that God cares enough to tell us the truth, right? to tell us what's going on. It means God cares enough to invest in our life and speak into our lives. We should not determine God's, how much God is in our life based on getting answers that we like or don't like. <laughs> we should determine it based on God giving us answers. And God is giving us answers all the time through his word, through prayer, all the time God is speaking and giving us answers. Are we listening? Are we calling upon God and listening to what he has to say? So call upon the Lord. <laughs> Talk to him a lot. Listen to what he has to say. His word will help you know if it's what you want or what he wants. <laughs> right? That's why we got this. It's a guide, great guide towards that. As Christians, what we can know for sure is that we have a direct connection right, to God. Jesus is that direct connection. We're but a breath away from God. We breathe in his direction and he'll answer us because he's got us. He answers when we call upon him. So let's pick back up in the story. We're in verse 14 now of, of chapter 23. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness. He's got to leave. In the hill country of the wilderness of Zip. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. See, God's watching over him, isn't he? He's not going to be killed or captured. He's under great threat, but God's watching over him. And why? Because God's promised something of David. God's promised that David will be on the throne. So that's why He's protected. And that brings us to the second thing we want to say. God's got you. If you have a relationship with God, you can know that God's got you because he keeps his promises. What God says he will do, he will follow through on. Let me pick back up in verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. I mean, you know, how good is it to have a friend like Jonathan? We should all have friends like this. Friends who, who show up, even without us asking, <laughs> show up when we most need them. I mean, the Lord give us a lot of good friends like Jonathan. But especially, notice what Jonathan is doing here. Jonathan is a good friend of David because he's reminding David about the fact that God's got him, but specifically that God is going to follow through on a promise that he's made to David. That's what Jonathan's doing here. It says he strengthened David's hand in God. How did he do that? By reminding him, hey, you're going to be king. How does David know he's going to be king? Because God promised it. God said, I will make this happen. So that's why David doesn't have to be afraid. Jonathan knows God's going to follow through. I believe God's going to follow through. I'm reminding you that God's going to follow through. Yes, he's in danger, but because, I mean, get this, he's in great danger. Let's not deny that and how that feels and all that. But in the end of the day, God has said, you will be king. So that means nothing can happen to David. Nothing ultimately can happen to him. God will be with him. He will follow through in his promise. And it's a powerful thing, isn't it? I mean, to say that God's got you and to say that he will follow through in his promises means you have someone you are in a relationship with that you can count on to follow through what he says. That's a, that's a huge thing to have that in your life. Um, you know, I, I think one of the big hurts, one of the first big hurts you have in your life is when someone makes a promise to you and they don't follow through on it. I think maybe some of us can remember when that happened. Especially for some of us, if that person was someone close to us, a friend, a parent, uh, whoever it might be, a sibling, um, 
Those are some of the biggest hurts. I know that's for me uh, and some of, my, some of the relationships I've had. When someone makes a promise, multiple promises, and doesn't follow through, it makes it hard to trust, <laughs> right? It makes, it makes you suspicious. It makes you pull back. Well, here's something you can say. God's not like human beings, fortunately. <laughs> God is eternal and constant, and so we have someone who we can know for sure will keep his promise. We have that most especially shown to us in Jesus. God, in the beginning of the Bible, says, I'm going to send Jesus, I'm going to send a Savior to save you, and God sent that Savior, and we live in the wake of that. God follows through on what he says. We know he will say things, and we know we can count on them. God has promised to save us and redeem us. God has promised to keep us in his peace if we ask for peace. God has promised to give us wisdom if we ask for wisdom. God has promised that his love will never ever be removed from us. God has made promises and he will follow through his promises and that's why you can know God's got you. God is standing there with you no matter what you face. The things he said before you went into that ocean, the things that he says as you stand there, you can know, you can count on them. He always follows through. God keeps his promises. And David, when our story, has an immediate chance to sort of really depend on that. The next part of our story he has really the next close call, and this one is a really bad one. If you look down at verses 19 to 29, David is in the wilderness of Ziph, and once again, the, the people there say, hey, Saul, David is here. As we said, that's, that's sort of what you got to do, right? If you don't do that, you know Saul might come and wipe you out. So David and his men run away to another place, to the wilderness of Moan, it's old, and Saul is close behind. If you look down in your Bibles, I'm going to read starting in verse 25. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, well, he went after David. He pursued him into that wilderness. And Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. So it seems like he shows up with his army, and David's on this mountain. And he's probably sort of in the eastern, if you look at the, the mountain, that, that part of, the, of, of Palestine, David was probably in the eastern part of the mountain, Saul's people were on the north and south side. It's like a pincer movement, kind of sort of capture and, and trap David in between them. And Saul would have got him. We're told, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture him, and they're probably just, you know, maybe 100 yards away, right? It was that close. We're told, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. So Saul would have got him. Right? I bet Saul was like, I, you know, maybe I can just do this. But it would have been a big battle. It would have been an immediate thing. And for once, Saul remembers that he's king of Israel. He's, he kind of needs to defend his nation. David's been doing a lot of that for him. right? He realizes, I can capture David right now for how, maybe an hour, two hour long battle. And yet, like, lots of cities might be wiped out in that time. The Philistines are raiding my nation. So that's why he leaves. So David escapes, and maybe a thought we should have here is like, what was David thinking when this was happening? Well, I think he was thinking, God's got me. God follows through my promises. And I'm not just saying that. We know some of what David was thinking by looking at the Psalms. Psalm 54, we're told, here's what David sort of thought. He wrote this in response to him being turned in by the Ziphites, right, and being on the run from Saul at this point. And that Psalm, if you read it, I won't read the whole psalm, but he talks about how strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life, right? <laughs> Everyone's out to get me. And yet here's what he says. God is my helper. 
the Lord is the upholder of my life. That's what David was thinking this time. The circumstances are out of my control, but God's helping me. He's got me. How does David know that God's going to uphold his life, protect his life? Because God promised to do it. God said you're going to be king. That means he's going to be alive, at least up to that point. <laughs> he knows that promise is true. He knows God's going to help him. God's promised to help him. That's why he knows God's got him. So this morning, do you know that God's got you? Do you know for sure? The invitation God gives us in Jesus is to be in a relationship with someone who will make promises that you can count on. Someone you can rely on. Something that is steady and sure and certain. Something that lasts. We live in a universe with so many different things happening and so many different things um, occurring. Here's a perspective that I have. I can know that I have a God who is with me because he speaks things to me and they come true. He stands with me. He's got me because he keeps his promises. His promise to me in Jesus is I will be with you. That's why God's got us. The last way we can say that God's got us and God's got you is this. God's got you because we can know he will always defend you. If God's your God, he will stand up for you. He'll defend you. So we're in chapter 24 now. If you see the beginning of chapter 24, someone else now (laughs) says, hey, Saul, here's where David is. So Saul rolls in with 3,000 men. This is five times the size of David's men. Like he wants to make this happen. (laughs) He's really determined to get David. So Saul comes in with his men, but at some point he tells the army, hey, everyone stop. And the whole army stops and he heads into a cave because maybe he had a lot of Red Bull or coffee or something. Because, as it says here in verse 3, he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Um, Nature calls, right? Even for kings, right? So here's the thing, though, if you keep reading. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So David and his, his, his group of men happened to be hidden in the far back of this cave when you see the king come in, drop his robe, and squat down, right? I mean, like, like, what is happening here, <laughs> right? And even more so, like, here's a great opportunity. <laughs> That's what his men say. Like, clearly, this guy has been at us all this time, stab him in the back, let's get rid of this guy. This, this is clearly what, what God is making set up for us, right? This, this is what's happening. That's what David's men say. Verse 4 of chapter 24, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'll give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. He's squatting right there. Here's the thing. We don't have any evidence of God saying that. God never said, hey, you need to kill Saul in cold blood, basically. That's what this is in that culture, <laughs> to come up while a guy is using the bathroom and kill him. And so the men are sort of making a huge assumption. They're saying you should take revenge, and of course God's with you on this. So what does David do? It says, David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, let me just say here, I, I've, I read this and I've wondered, like, how did David pull this off? Uh, I don't think I'm the only one who could say, yes, I do daydream at times when I'm sitting there. We, we can admit sometimes we're scrolling our phones, right? But I don't think I've ever been that spaced out that would not notice someone cutting off a piece of my clothing while I'm using the bathroom, right? I, I don't, that's never quite, I've never been that sort of daydreaming. But I don't know, maybe this is, maybe... <laughs> Saul had a lot to get out, maybe. So he, (laughs) 
so he didn't notice. <laughs> David uh, cuts off a piece of his robe, gets away with it, but immediately David feels bad about it because there's something significant that's happening here. It's symbolic. Back in a couple chapters earlier, Samuel, uh, Saul had grabbed on to uh, the robe of Samuel and it tore. And Saul says, it's the same way, like, you're, you're, the kingdom is torn away from you. And so David doing this, and I think David was sort of thinking, you know, maybe I, I should do this. Um, but David tearing this robe, it was him almost symbolically saying, I'm going to tear away the kingdom from Saul. And him doing it is saying, I'm the one who's going to do it. And that's not what David wants to say. In fact, that's not what David believes. That goes beyond what God had said. God had said, I'm going to give you the kingdom. He didn't say, you're going to have to take it. You have to grab it for yourself and do whatever you have to do, even dishonorable things to do it. And so David allows Saul to leave. He stops his men from killing Saul. I mean, I think David, the way the, the text says it, he's like, well, you guys are not doing this, <laughs> right? We're not making that happen. So Saul leaves the cave unharmed. Saul walks back to his 3,000-strong army, and the next thing David does is a bit crazy, right? He comes out of the cave and reveals himself to Saul. <laughs> I mean, here is very much David showing, I believe God's got me. And the reason David's doing this is because, I mean, he's, he's proving what he believes about God. He's also wanting to show to everyone, here's what kind of person I am. I was in this cave. I could have killed Saul, and I didn't. I could have taken vengeance. I could have taken this kingship by force and made it happen my way, but that's not what I did. We read, uh, starting in verse 18, starting in verse 8, I'm going to read down to verse 15, so you want to follow along with me here. Verse 24, starting in verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today, today into my hand in the cave. And some of my guys told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he's the Lord's anointed. God still appointed you king. I honor that. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by that fact, I cut off the corner of a robe, and you didn't notice, <laughs> and I didn't kill you. You may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand should not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness. David's saying, look, if I was wicked as you would say, like I would have done this. I would have taken revenge into my own hands. But my hand should not be against you. Verse 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, a flea? I mean, that's not that's who I am. Verse 15, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. I'm going to zero back in on, on particularly what David says here in verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Look, David believes Saul should be punished. He should be held accountable for what he's done. But he knows God's got him. And so that means God will defend him. He will defend this cause. He will defend this agenda that he promised to make him king. And so that means God's going to protect him and defend him and hold him in the right and make sure the right thing happens in the right way. And that means David doesn't got to take control of this. He doesn't have to do this in a way that would have been dishonorable. In a way that would establish the kingdom under, under violence, right? It would have been a, a coup, essentially, to do it this way. Verse 15, he says then, May the Lord therefore be judge... And give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause. 
and deliver me from your hand. The Lord will bring justice. It's like the sense of, I have this case. I'm going to put it in God's hands. And God's going to trust that God's going to bring, God's going to bring it through. That David, he says, God will please my, plead my cause. God's going to defend me. God's going to both defend me and also judge between me and you. And the end result is David will be king. And God will make sure it's done in the right and the fair way. Because God doing this is someone who's doing it who's eternally fair and good and just. Someone who in good time will render justice in the right way. Revenge is us sort of taking control in the way that we want. <laughs> right? Taking opportunity to, to make things happen the way we want. David is saying, I trust in a God who's going to right the wrongs, defend my cause, who are willing to make sure things happen in the best and right way, in his way. To have God in our lives to say, we have someone we can count on who's got us, and it means he will defend us and stand up for us. We don't have to worry about getting things right exactly the way we want. God will make sure that happens. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance of mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know why this matters? It means we don't have to force things. I'm not saying like we got to be doormats and like ignore like when bad things happen to us. Like we should pursue justice and righteousness in this world. But the freeing thing is that when things don't happen the way we want to, when we're not sure what's the best way to happen, we do our best, we do what we can, but in the end, God defends us. God makes sure the right thing happens because God's got us. It's the belief that this universe is not dependent on our decisions and our choices and us working things out in all the ways that we want to. This universe is dependent on the God who made it. And the same God who wrote the first chapter is the same God who writes the middle chapter, which means we can trust him. In all, same God who writes the first chapter, same God who writes the end chapter. It means we can trust him in all the middle chapters. We live in the middle chapters. And the thing is, the middle chapters, we don't know. And that's scary. But what we do know is the first chapters of this world. God created all things under his power and authority. And we do know 100% for sure the end chapter. All things will come under his, his, his righteous reign. All things will end in good for his people. So that means we can trust him in what happens in the middle. That he will defend us and advocate for us. Now and ultimately in the future. That God's got us. So we don't need to force things. He will defend us and advocate for us. So I'll finish off here. Saul hears all this and amazingly Saul for once admits that David is right. Um, starting in verse 16, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Saul was actually emotionally moved by David. I mean, after all this happened, <laughs> realizing that like I was in there <laughs> relieving myself and I could have been killed in an embarrassing way with my robe down around my ankles. <laughs> and that didn't happen. <laughs> that says something. Verse 17, Saul said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. You have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? <laughs> so may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. 
Now, we should know this does not stick. <laughs> Chapter 26, Saul is back to trying to kill David. <laughs> so there's a temporary pause. Um, but um, I think the thing I want us to take away this morning is, is look, I mean, the story of David has happened a long time ago, but the things that David faces, the feel of it, the feel of, of being in situations, being in life where it's uncertain, there's threats, there's all sorts of things around us, that, that sort of feeling of a life like that, that, that's true for us today, isn't it? What David faced is, is what we face today. We all stand, if you will, in the ocean of life, right? And there are waves coming that we can see, um, and there's waves beyond those waves that we can't see. What God wants to say to you today is, in the words of Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always. See, those are Jesus' words. And to believe in Jesus is to know then that God is with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that means God's got us. So as we stand there in that ocean, you should know that by faith in Jesus, God stands there with us. He stands there with us, and as we face whatever we have to face, what God wants you to, wants you to know this morning is, hey, if you call on me, I'll answer you. I will be with you because I promise to be with you. If there's anything that's overwhelming or unjust, I will defend and protect you. In the end, righteousness will prevail. I've got you. So the invitation this morning is to believe in the God like that. If you've not believed in that God, believe in him in Jesus. And know you can stand there and know what you will get from this God. Everything you need, everything you can hope for, a God who has got us now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this time and for Jesus and for the chance to be together, as always, and for the chance to remind us that, Lord, you are together with us. And, Lord, it means that it's not just that God is with us when we're here in this building on Sunday. (laughs) Um, The power of the gospel message is that when we believe in Jesus, you enter in our lives by the Spirit, and that means you're always with us. You're always standing with us in that ocean. And so I pray, Lord, for whatever we might face, whatever we're uncertain about, um, Lord, may we be reminded that you are really with us. You've got us in all the ways that we looked at this morning. There's a lot of ways we can say God's got us. But these ways particularly, I pray, would resonate in our hearts. Lord, if some people need to be reminded of some particular promises, Lord, remind them of those promises and help them to rely them and stand on them. Some people, Lord, they just need to know that you're going to defend them, that in the end, righteousness will prevail. Some of us, Lord, just need to call on you and listen as you answer be encouraged that you do answer. Um, Lord, wherever different people are at, respond in that way, in the moment, in all the things that need to be happening in our lives. And Lord, may it, Lord, result in us, uh, Lord, may, may people here feel a little more free, a little more joyful, especially hopeful. Um, Lord, do all those things, Lord, because you have us. Lord, you have us, and you will never let go of us. And so grab a firm hold onto our hands this morning. Uh, and strengthen our hearts, encourage us in the steps we take. We pray these things, and we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.